and sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. And this is our September news episode, where I provide my take on some of the biggest stories in the wealth management space. Some of you may have noticed we've shifted uh, when we record the news from the beginning to the end of the month. So keep an eye out for our news episodes in the third and fourth week of every month. Now, before I jump into the first story, if you are an executive at a fintech firm with a software product that you're selling to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, or other firms, then you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the contact form to schedule a free discovery session. Over the past 17 years, Ezra Group has worked with hundreds of fintech vendors to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. Our team can deliver a wide range of strategy and research projects for your firm, including competitive analysis, partnership recommendations, addressable and obtainable market estimates, insights on buying decisions, product roadmap advice, go-to-market strategies, and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets or launching new products. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. Now, one quick note before we continue. Please subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And now, let's kick this thing off. Our first story in the September news episode is UBS and Wealthfront scrap their deal to merge. The $1.4 billion deal was announced back in January and has now been scrapped. Now, I wrote uh, a, a LinkedIn post about this with some of my thoughts that went viral. So if in case you missed it, I'm going to do a quick review of it now. I also wrote uh, a rather to podcast back in February about the deal. Uh, and actually, I think the whole news episode in February was just about this deal. So you can go back and listen to that as well. I'll just do a quick overview. Uh, I've written a lot about Wealthfront over the years. None of it really good. And not that there was anything, I have anything against Wealthfront, just that in general, it was sort of um, a reaction to the, the whole hype around robo-advisors in that there's nothing really different about a robo-advisor in terms of all their technology, most of it, right? The back end is all exactly the same as any other advisory firm. They have to still do onboarding, models, um, account opening, funding, trading, rebalancing, reporting, billing, blah, 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 all those things, right? The only thing different, they just got rid of the advisors and they also, it's true that they did electronic onboarding. So totally paperless onboarding. The robos were the first to do that. We were started doing projects about six or seven years ago uh, when broker dealers and large RIAs realized they needed that too. Uh, so we started doing projects for them to help build out those technologies. They played catch up for a couple of years, but now that's ubiquitous. Everyone's got completely electronic onboarding, at least most firms do. So that's no longer a differentiator. So what are they going to do? How are these firms going to differentiate themselves? And we saw Wealthfront scramble over the years. Uh, you look at um, some of the things I wrote, they really kept pivoting and pivoting because you just can't build a business with the uh, the fees they were charging, with, with 25 basis points and the first 10,000 free. It's not going to be a profitable endeavor for them without a tremendous, well over, well over $100 billion in assets just to break even. And that just hasn't been happening. They were doing okay. They, I think they were $27 billion when they announced the merger with, um, 
with with a UBS, but still, that's nowhere near break even. Now, what I what I wrote about, what I talked about, mostly not was not just the technology, whether it's good or bad, um, and why they were buying it, um, but it was more the the, the culture clash, and that the, that big culture clash between these two completely opposite firms was going to sink this deal. Um, or make it just go away. You know, we don't see a lot of deals explode like we saw this one sort of crash and burn. Usually when the firm is acquired, a small firm is acquired by a large firm. In many cases, unfortunately, things just disappear, right? Um, it's a lot of fanfare, a lot of hype about how this new um, acquisition is going to revolutionize things, it's going to be innovative, it's going to change the way they do business and allow them to gain new market share uh, yada yada yada, and it just never does. Uh, it, it, the the initiator, the the founders, or the um, the startup um, employees uh, stay on for their contract, get paid, and they leave to go do what they do best, which is start up new companies. They don't want to work for a legacy firm uh, and push paper and being stuck in bureaucracy. And usually, that is the end of that product's innovation life cycle. And it just gets renamed, rebranded, or disappears. We've seen this time and time again. So didn't have a lot of um, hope for this particular merger, and mainly because of how vocal their CEO, Andy Ratcliffe, has been about banks. And he had talked a lot about basically how banks suck. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard him at conferences, I wrote about it on my blog, but he said that really banks are terrible, all their customers want to leave, we're gonna steal all their customers, because we know how to do things right. Um, and that was with a couple of their pivots. And I know Wealthfront has pivoted at least six times. And nothing wrong with pivoting, by the way. That's how most startups work. They, they have an idea and they pivot. So there's nothing wrong with pivoting. It's just that at some point, you've got to stop pivoting. you got to find something that's going to stick. And the things they're pivoting to were nothing innovative. They were just copying uh, what other firms were doing, uh, whether it was high um, interest accounts or very expensive uh, models of alternative investments, or basically just pure up straight up banking, retail banking, checking account, direct deposit, what Andy Ratcliffe liked to call self-driving money, which is a great idea. I love the idea of self-driving money where your accounts just handle themselves if that was the case, if they could really do that, which they never really could. Um, so it just, it wasn't gonna work and uh, it, has it has failed. And even the, the deal amount was kind of fake. They were they were touting how it was a $1.4 billion deal because everyone wants the billion dollar deal. Every firm wants to have that and they'll do anything they can to make it a billion dollars uh, with all kinds of financial sleight of hand. This deal was no different. It was actually a $700 million deal, which is a lot of money. I like to sell a company for $700 million personally, but that's not a billion. It's not 1.4 billion. They had 700 million on top of that in incentives, which they may or may not have achieved. So uh, the, the the numbers of the deal didn't even add up uh, either way. And I, I talked a lot about this in the February news, and you can look up uh, the transcript and see what we what I talked about there. Um, so basically, the this also seemed to be a vanity project by the previous CEO at UBS, and then um, that was uh, Ralph Hamers, who was the UBS CEO before. And uh, he apparently is out, and there's a new CEO um, uh, at um, at UBS. So um, 
he decided basically, look, I'm just going to can this because it's not a great idea. Uh, and also the key architect of the deal uh, at EBS, Tom Narado, also left the bank of, who had been there 40 years. So once he left and the previous CEO left, um, that was the, the end of this deal. They, they managed to get out of it. And uh, for a, for a pennies, uh, for a pennies on the dollar, right? They had, they, they had committed $700 million in cash and they got out of this deal and all they have to pay is $70 million in the investment, basically. They're investing in Wealthfront to get out of the deal. That's a great great deal for UBS. They don't have to have this, uh, uh, spend that money. And you know, also, it's not just the money, the $700 million, but it's also the distraction of having to figure out what to do with this. They have to deal with the, the any, uh, future merger, bring on all these employees, who are who are not going to fit in with the UBS culture? They're all Silicon Valley people. They're not going to fill it, fit in with a, a Swiss bank or even you know, the bank's New York office. It's not going to work. The tech people at UBS, like any any wirehouse, have a very different mindset than Silicon Valley uh, tech people do. So that whole distraction is gone. They've just canned it. There was no explanation as to why the deal was closed, and I didn't see a lot of people speculating. So I just did my own speculation. Uh, and that's really the end of it. Um, now, the, the 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 bad part is that what is UBS going to do? Um, will they still try to come up with this type of digital advice? They tried a couple times. They they uh, partnered with Sigfig, and that didn't work very well. They tried to build something on their own. That didn't work very well. So where they will go from here, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> a Wall Street Journal reporter reached out to me and asked me some of my thoughts about it, and they and uh, she asked, "Is it still a viable business model?" to have digital advice at a, a wealth management firm. And I answered, of course it is. They even had a wirehouses, some form of digital advice or some sort of centralized um, advice where you have a, a call center, which is similar to how Wealthfront might work. Uh, you'll have a call center type of advice where you don't know which advisor you're getting, but you still, you know, you pay a lot smaller fee, works at Merrill Lynch or Merrill Edge. So there's no reason why they couldn't make it work, but I don't know how they're going to do it. Now, the other aspect of this is what happens to Wealthfront. So they're in big trouble, right? They they were trying to get uh, someone to buy them for at least six months. I know uh, RBC uh, was was being courted by them, and they took a look under the hood and uh, walked away. A, n- a number of other firms also did the same, and most likely because it's just very difficult to make money, right? They're basically just an electronic RIA. They're a digital RIA, nothing wrong with it. Perfectly fine business, but when you've got over a hundred million dollars in VC money, you got to pay back. All of a sudden, any deal has got to be hugely astronomical and way out of your price range um, in order to, to pay people back. So they're going to either have to they're going to have to take a loss or just keep struggling on uh, until some point where they realize this just isn't working. Unless Andy Ratcliffe's got some another pivot up his sleeve. There's not much that's going to happen, and you'll probably see them um, quietly get sold for a lot less money uh, to another firm at some point, unfortunately. But that's just the way these things happen. If you can't innovate, you can't come up with a new idea that's going to excite people. Uh, you're just taking old ideas and trying to make them new again. It's just not really going to work. Our next story, YieldX integration with InvestNet Model Center. YieldX is a startup company in our space. They provide uh, some very unique uh, technology and services all around fixed income 
uh, investing. I think you should check them out at yieldx, Y-I, make sure I can spell this, Y-I-E-L-D-X dot A-P-P, so dot app. So it's not dot com, dot app. So they basically transformed how um, wealth management firms can interact with fixed income, can deal with fixed income, buy and sell, optimize their portfolios. I've, I worked in um, for fixed income technology provider well, a long time ago, back in 2007, and really got a deep dive um, knowledge, or rather uh, education about fixed income investing by working with this software and trying to figure out uh, the best way to get fixed income trades done and, and uh, fixed income trades modeled uh, and, and and bought and sold. So seeing YieldX when they came out, I was pretty excited to buy it. So they've got some, some really cool technology that well, I can do a couple of things. One is, uh, well, first of all, it's all API based. So that's what I liked about it, that everything they have is um, is available through an API. They have a couple different, uh, a suite of tools. One is called InPass, which allows you to build portfolios targeting specific yield, risk, monthly income. They have an optimizer tool where you can, it'll go through hundreds of thousands of portfolios and optimize them and provide you with um, other bonds you could buy that deliver the same income with the same uh, maturity, same yield with the same risk. So uh, rather better yield, but the same risk. They have uh, something called Asset Explorer, which is a filter, a search tool where you can look through millions of yield-driven securities. They have a ladder builder to build uh, bond ladders. Uh, So a lot of very cool tools for for, uh, anyone in in fixed income investing. Now they are um, partnering with InvestNet. InvestNet made an investment in YieldX, about $30 million, uh, a couple uh, about I think last year. So they are partnering and now they are doing some work uh, to better integrate their technologies into the investnet ecosystem. So one of the things uh, with UMA, unified managed accounts, is fixed income is always a problem. There's never been a good way to build models of fixed income securities like you can build models of equities. So what I mean is with a unified managed account, um, you send a model to provider, if you're an asset manager, uh, an SMA manager, for example, you just send the model over to the sponsor saying, here's my equity model, my large cap, my small cap, mid cap, international or sector model. And then the sponsor trades it. And whatever those equities might be, it's a list of securities with weights. That's really all the model is. And that'll be adjusted over time. You really can't do that with bonds because of the sheer number of bonds out there. You can't say, well, buy an IBM bond for everyone because it may be there's there's a hundred different IBM bonds out, different maturities, different uh, yields, uh, different interest rates, and that goes to with with all major companies. So you can't build the same kind of model uh, with fixed income. Now, uh, so basically, all models, every any UMA that puts a fixed income sleeve, uh, I believe ninety nine percent of the time, the fixed income manager has to trade that sleeve directly, which is more expensive. Uh, it's not as scalable, uh, and it doesn't give as much control to the sponsor. But it's just the way we've always had to do it because uh, it's very difficult to trade fix. That you can't build a model. There has been uh, something called characteristic-based trading, which has been a, a technology that's been talked about a long time, uh, more than ten or fifteen years at least, and never really works well. Uh, I've, I don't know. Any, I don't know any vendor that is doing it well today. I have heard vendors talking about it. Uh, I've tried to build it. It just doesn't really work. And that's where you say uh, the advisor could say, or the home office could say, here is a sleeve in the UMA and we want it to be this maturity, 
this risk, this yield. Now go find us, uh, and you know, and this quality and other types of characteristics around. So you basically feed in the characteristics of the bond portfolio you want, and then the software will go out and do that for you. Find liquidity, find the different bonds, and build the model. No one's ever been able to do that because it is complicated. But YieldX has this technology. You can feed in these parameters and it will go out and build you a model because they've got the combination of technology to um, uh, search through uh, the database of all the, all the bonds out there, but also the, the access to liquidity sources where they can find out if those bonds actually exist for sale somewhere and point you in the right direction to get those bonds. Now, be able to partner. Now, doing that is great, but you need to have that capability to plug that into a UMA seamlessly. And that wasn't available before. You could build your own since YieldX has everything available via APIs, but that's still not a trivial task. So they did it for you by plugging into their partner, InvestNet. InvestNet has probably the largest model universe in the wealth management industry with, I believe, over 400 managers, someone... Um, Back checking on this, I don't have the website up, and at least um, a couple thousand uh, different SMA models, SMA strategies available on their um, on their platform. So, with this integration, as an advisor, if you are on Investnet, you can now, or home office on Investnet, you can now build a UMA, add a fixed income sleeve, and then um, switch over into the InPass tool, which is. Um, I-N-P-A-S-S, in case you can't understand what I'm saying, InPass is the name of the Yield X tool, and it will build a custom uh, fixed income sleeve and then import that data back into your UMA. So it's a bit of a, of a, of a tab switch. So you're doing a little bit, little bit of task switching, but the data moves right back into your UMA and you can build your own fixed income models on the fly. It's a very cool uh, technology. Uh, uh, you should take a look at it. Of course, you can go to investment.com or you can go to YieldX. .app to learn more about this. Social media is a compliance minefield for advisors. LinkedIn and RIA in a box want to help. Our next story is a partnership between our compliance vendor, RIA in a box, and social media site LinkedIn. This is kind of a cool deal. So RIA in a box is one of the biggest compliance vendors in the space for RIAs, of course. Now we've got um, a fair number of vendors. If you go to the Keatsis Ezra Group Advisor Tech Map, which you can find at keatsis.com, we currently have 10 logos on the map. Now, if you go to the Advisor Tech database, which you, or the, or the Advisor Tech directory, which you can also access uh, through keatsis.com, there are 18 vendors that claim to have some sort of compliance functionality. Now, the functionality we're talking about here with this RIA in a box and LinkedIn partnership is content compliance. So taking content and making it regulatory compliant um, is an important aspect of any uh, marketing campaign for advisors since everything's got to go through compliance. You can't just, as an advisor, you can't just send out articles that haven't been approved. So there's a number of uh, firms that have done content deployment that's usually around um, uh, a content distribution, those firms are, those vendors are usually more along the lines of digital marketing um, and they have some sort of compliance plugin. So 
that's a, a bit different. There are firms like um, Advisor Stream that was putting out uh, content that was uh, regulatory compliant, Hearsay Social, FMG Suite. A lot of these firms do that um, as part of their offering, but they're not specifically compliance products. Uh, RAA in a box is specifically a compliance product. So now with this new connection, you can go to LinkedIn and there'll be a plugin that you, you, you plug your accounts directly into this and connect somehow. And then your the content things that you do post on LinkedIn will be all the monitoring will happen and you will have a, a compliant um, content available to you uh, for whatever posts you're making. So it's pretty cool uh, if this works as they say it works. Since many advisors see LinkedIn as a valuable source of leads, since um, it's different than going to Facebook or other other tools, you get more of a uh, more of a business and professional look, um, and it's become very popular. So having a tool that's plugged right into LinkedIn will make it easier for these types of advisors who are looking for that to be able to archive. Um, and discover uh, other other information, uh, whatever compliant uh, articles or compliant content they want, and then to post it on LinkedIn should make it easy. I haven't seen a demo of this yet. Hope to get a demo soon, and then uh, I'll give you another update. But right now, check out RIA in a box. Of course, everyone knows where LinkedIn is, and you'll hear more about this solution. All right, all right, all right. Next up. In the news, <clears throat> SmartX Advisory Solutions announces partnership with Flyer Financial Technologies. This one is a cool story. Uh, I'm really excited about this one. So uh, who is SmartX Advisory? Uh, you can look them up. They um, are a company that's more and more in the news, as is Flyer Financial Technologies. Uh, SmartX uh, just was in the news recently uh, in our, our podcast as well. They got um, a $30 million investment from Morningstar, and Morningstar also switched over their TAMP technology partner from uh, the old Pfizer of APL, now InvestCloud APL, onto SmartX's technology. So it's a big coup for SmartX. Uh, and they are powering a number of other TAMPs as well with their technology. Uh, and Flyer is one of the uh, sort of an under the radar firm offering a very powerful order management system. So SmartX is going to be using Flyer's order management system uh, to power uh, as, as we're connected to their UMA platform. So SmartX offers a TAMP uh, technology platform, and they offer UMA, Unified Managed Accounts. And one of the big issues, well, with any managed account program is trading. And how do you handle the trading? And especially when it gets very complicated, uh, when you have very large orders and you're blocking up uh, a lot of trades, having a strong order management platform is really important. Flyer has become sort of the Intel inside for a lot of firms' order management uh, with their managed account programs, whether it is uh, the aforementioned Morningstar or Riskalyze or Investnet or another of, number, another of um, other firms have all moved their order management to Flyer Venture Technologies. And there's a couple of reasons why. So, uh, well, there's three three main reasons. One, enhanced visibility. Uh, two is uh, more complex order management. And three is uh, speed to market. So I'm gonna go through these um, each in order here. So what is enhanced visibility? Well, um, 
if you're trading across multiple brokers, multiple custodians, uh, as well as block trading, that gets very complicated if you are on the trading desk and you're trying to manage all of this. Um, you want it on a single blotter. So Flyer can do that. Uh, they can handle all these different trades going to all these different locations um, on a single blotter. They also can allocate to any configuration of accounts while the order is executed over multiple trading sessions rather than simply allocating a partial execution uh, pro rata. Uh, and that gets complicated. So with allocations, especially with the UMA or other managed accounts, you're trading across hundreds or even thousands or even tens of thousands if you're a big enough company, tens of thousands of accounts. Uh, so if you do a model, for example, a model update might require thousands of accounts to be traded. You want to block those up into much larger trades to save money, but then you have to reallocate all the trades to the right accounts. That's very complicated. Uh, Flyer can handle that. Flyer can also handle uh, other workflows that normally are done offline, such as step out trades, and they can handle that. It's also shown on the centralized plotter. You also don't need separate trade files for mutual funds, uh, which often happens as well. Another reason why uh, firms will use uh, Flyer uh, or firms like Flyers order management is it's more sophisticated. It allows for more complex trading. Uh, we've seen electronic trading uh, uh, take over more and more of the market. I believe um, I saw a Reuters article, automatic trading is now 75% of all financial market volume. So you want to be automated as well. Uh, Flyers OMS is called Copilot. It allows for things like tradeaways, which uh, are normally done via phone calls or emails and spreadsheets, and you're sending orders to different brokers. So you can do tradeaways uh, through Copilot automatically. It also offers access to broker algorithms, such as VWAP, volume weighted average price, uh, POV, percentage of value. Um, so that's VWAP, as, rather than just TWAP, which is time weighted average price. Uh, and those are ways to, to check if you're getting best execution by looking at the average price of a particular security over time. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the order routing and order handling capabilities are superior when you're using an order management system like Flyer. So that's the complexity and sophistication that they're getting. Also, speed to market. Now, SmartX has got, um, I, I've, been, I've known uh, Evan Rappaport, their CEO and founder for many years, a uh, really smart guy. He built a company called Hedgecovest, which had some very sophisticated technology that tracked, that mirrored the trades made by hedge, hedge funds that you can then invest in. So it was this cool investing technology. Didn't really take off. It was very cool at the time. So you could build a model based on any hedge funds that were participating in the program and you get real-time access to their trades. Uh, so they're very good at building technology, but building an order management system is, as I said before, uh, building anything not trivial in our space, but especially in OMS. So SmartX basically gets speed to market. They don't need to build out their own sophisticated OMS. They can just plug right into Flyers. Uh, and Flyers has been around for more than a decade, and they they, be able, uh, they can process orders for some of the largest buy-side firms and TAMPs on, this, on the street. Their technology is tested. Uh, over time. Uh, it's very solid. So those are the, the three areas that SmartX gains by partnering with uh, Flyer. So we're, uh, uh, there's another thing in the article, which is interesting, and which I've known for some time, is that SmartX is looking to build out a complete 
end-to-end wealth management platform and having a very strong order management is important for that capability. So I'm expecting to see uh, some news from SmartX where broker-dealers jump off of other platforms uh, and move on to the SmartX's new uh, wealth management platform that they have. At some point, you'll see that in the future. Our next story, Asset Book integrates with SoftPak's U-Rebal Rebalancer. Another integration story. We love integration stories. So Asset Book is a portfolio management, is in the portfolio management category of the Keatsis Ezra Group Advisor Tech Map. Um, they've been around for a while, since 2007. They were primarily a performance reporting uh, provider for a long time. They started building out more capabilities and eventually built out an entire portfolio management platform. And they uh, launched the third generation of this platform, which is now called Pulse. They launched it at T3 back in 2020. Uh, so that was a pre-pandemic T3. So this platform has been out for a while. Uh, I think the majority of their clients are now using it. Uh, and they have announced an integration with a company called Softpack Financial. You can check them out at softpack.com. And they have a robust rebalancing engine called Urebal. Uh, this is a, a very interesting product. Uh, it's for uh, advisory firms. And of course, does portfolio rebalancing. There's some interesting capabilities that Urebal offers. One of them is, well, of course, they've got the standard rebalancing capabilities. Uh, they've got tax aware. Uh, they've got tax loss harvesting. Um, but one of the things that they offer is multi-pass iterative, iterative rebalancing. So you can um, put in a lot of different requirements and a different restrictions uh, around your models and the software will make um, hundreds of passes through the portfolios to optimize them based on the different goals you have set. Uh, so, so why is this useful? So um, being able to do multiple passes through a portfolio provides a lot of advantages because rather than just going through once with one set of rules, uh, it works kind of like uh, a Monte Carlo simulation, but not quite, uh, it's similar. Uh, it's in, it's similar because they're both iterative and um, it goes through um, the portfolios many, many times to try to find the best solution. Now, your, your software has to be written this way from scratch. You can't add this capability to a rebalancing engine afterwards. Uh, so most rebalances are single pass algebraic and they're locked into target weights of the underlying securities. But with a multi-goal multi rebalancer, you can offer the rebalancing tool to modify the target weights of the securities to provide um, better optimization. Now, not all um, managers want to do this. They don't want to give the tool the ability to change the weights of the portfolio. But if you are willing to do that, you can. Pr it provides a lot of advantages, uh, a lot of capabilities for optimizing the portfolio. So um, the clients of AssetBook can now connect it to Urebal and use that with the rest of the AssetBook functionality uh, seamlessly through their integrations. The, um, the ability to do this, I think, is pretty important. We're seeing way more integrations across vendors, as we mentioned just in the news this month. We saw YieldX integrating with the BestNet. RIA in the box integrating with LinkedIn, SmartX integrating with Flyer Technology OMS. Integrations are coming very, very fast. 
Uh, this is going to be a good thing for all advisory firms, broker dealers, everyone in the space, being able to mix and match different capabilities with different products seamlessly um, is going to give a lot of flexibility. It's one of the reasons why we built out our Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score to make it easier to understand which vendors connect with other vendors and how strong those capabilities are. So this is going to make it much easier in the future for firms to be able to pick and choose which ones they want to integrate with. So we're expecting to see a lot more capabilities come out. And of course, always looking for more integrations, just like the asset book and softback one. All right, and wrapping up our news, we're going to talk about the Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score and the Keatsis Ezra Advisor Tech Map. What are the changes or the updates that we're, we're going to see in the next map? So the um, new products that are being added one of them uh, into the uh, the Kitsis Ezra Group map, I believe, uh, is a company called Giveback, and they are at giveback.social, and they are a philanthropic tool that helps advisors um, manage philanthropy, manage donations, charitable contributions by their clients. That's going to go into the specialized planning other category. Another company that is going to be added to the map is called Paperclip. And they are at paperclip.com. Um, we were joking that it reminds me of Clippy, the paperclip from Microsoft back in the in the 90s. But that's not what this is. I'm just that was just a joke. But it's called paperclip.com. I wonder what they spent for that um, domain name. It had to be expensive. Anyway, paperclip is uh, as you imagine, paperclip clipping together pages. They are a document management storage solution. Now they came from outside the industry. They're trying to break into the RA space. Uh, seem to have a very good enterprise solution. They also have email compliance and a number of other um, capabilities. You can check them at paperclip.com. Something that is not going on to the Kitsis Ezra Group Advice Tech Map are marketplaces. So we've, we've, every month we usually get one or two vendors of tech-enabled marketplaces that want to be on the map. And that's just not what this map is for. This map is software. So unless you can buy it software as a license, either enterprise license or an individual license, it's not going to be on this map. Uh, at Ezra Group, we're looking at building out another map for marketplaces because there's so many of them now, whether they're model marketplaces or insurance marketplaces or a lot of alt marketplaces coming online. Um, we're going to put them into another map, but they're not going to go into the Keats's Ezra Group map. So um you might as well not even try. I think there were two um, custodians that were trying to get on the map that may or may not have gotten in. I think we got, we ran short of time in our monthly call, um, but we may or may not see Apex Clearing added to the map as well as Entrustity, which is a new uh, custodian, which you may have read in the news. They just hired uh, my good friend, Tony Steak. So that's Entrustity, E-N-T-R-U-S-T-O-D-Y.com. And of course, apexclearing.com, everyone knows Apex. Uh, they both have uh, custodial platforms. So they would go into the custodial platform category, but I'm not sure if they're going in this month. It'll either be this month or next month. Now, uh, you may or may not be aware of the Ezra Group integration score. I hope you are. If you're a regular listener to, our, uh, to this uh, podcast, you should know of the Ezra Group integration score. So we are, um, we'll be putting these, uh, vendors into the score 
next month. We have a one-month lag because it takes our team time to go through them, double-check what their capabilities are, make sure we've got them scored properly. So um, we we connect to the advisor tech map, but we have a one-month lag. So we'll be bringing on, uh, you can check EzraGroupLLC.com, and uh, from the homepage, you can find the integration score page. And from there, you can search any category you want or any specific vendor you want, but uh, these vendors won't be available. We're just bringing online the vendors that came on um, in the August map. So those are uh, companies like uh, Cap Intel and um, Red Capture, Supernova. I'm sorry, Supernova is a marketplace. Um, um, Equity Advisor Solutions. So those are the, the new additions that'll be in the um, Ezra Group Integration Score. Uh, you'll see this month on our site. So that's uh, a wrap for the September news. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. Uh, before I forget, please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com. Check out the Ezra Group Integration Score. And also scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll get an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, information, links, analysis. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time. Mm-hmm.